Hey, it's Bill Simmons from The Ringer, and this is a podcast called The Rewatchables. We have been doing it really since 2017. It started with how much we love the movie Heat. We decided to structure a whole podcast with categories, most rewatchable scene, who won the movie, Apex Mountain, what age the best. But here's the thing. If you want the full archive, you can hear them only on Spotify for free, by the way. So make sure to follow The Rewatchables on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, Restrictions all apply. See website for details. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the Ringer Gambling Show. It's yours truly, Raheem Palmer, a.k.a. The Rostradamus. And as always, y'all know how it's going down. We got a special, special guest in the building. We have the legendary, the Hall of Fame fighter. I mean, this guy is one of the best boxers of all time. He's won 11 world titles and six different weight classes. We got Oscar De La Hoya in the building. He's dropping a new documentary on HBO, two-part special. Debuts July 24th. You guys want to check it out. Oscar, how you doing today? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it, man. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. So the biggest thing is you're dropping this two-part documentary. You're telling your full story. What made you want to tell your story now? What are you hoping that people get to learn? Yeah, look, I mean, I've, I've been the golden boy, right, for 30 plus years, you know, ever since I won the gold medal and all that crap, you know, and um, I always felt, I always felt trapped, you know, all those years trapped. It's crazy. It's like trapped in my own body, right, because I was basically at 18, 19 years old. I was conditioned to to be this, like, you know, this, this golden boy that that can't do wrong, always has to smile, you know, winning fights. You know, I have the golden left hook, the golden looks, you know, this and that. But yet it's like I'm not happy inside, you know. I'm like, I'm like I have all these demons inside, you know. And so I, I, wanted, I wanted to share my story um, because to, to tell you the truth, you know, to tell you the truth on how I was feeling. And why I did what I did, of you know everything—the good, the bad, the ugly—I um, just wanted to be authentic and real, and it, it's basically to free myself from the golden boy, you know. And at fifty, I just thought, look, it's never too late, man. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I think one of the common themes of the documentary is that the the world fell, like you said, the world fell in love with your story, but it was a right. lie. <laughs> Do you feel like? it was the sign of the times that you had to lie. Cause I mean, you look at guys like Michael Jordan, you look at guys like yourself, you guys really had to like play up an image. Whereas today, I think 
you know, it's guys like you that kind of led the way for like an Allen mm-hmm. Iverson or yeah. even like a Floyd Mayweather. I know you guys are yeah. kind of like, yeah. you guys are nemesises, but at the end of the day, it's like you allowed those guys to be authentic because you couldn't be human. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you basically, you're basically a robot, man, being told what to do. And look, I was conditioned at six years old to be a fighter. And I was conditioned like by my family, like, okay, he, Oscar's going to be the next, you know, the, the golden boy. He's going to take us out of the hood. He's going to, you know, man, he's got the, he's got the, the, uh, the, the talent and he's going to make a lot of money. And so at an early age, I felt the change, even from my family, like treating me different, you know, treating me special. And so it, it, it conditions your head to think, man, you're untouchable. You're unstoppable. Everything's going to be swept under the rug, you know? And so when I won the gold medal and my fame just blew through the roof, um, I mean, it was game on for me, you know? And so it's like now I can like be untouchable, you know? And because everybody's just going to sweep everything under the rug. And, and that wasn't me, you know, it wasn't me. It's not, it, I'm not that person, you know? And so, but the fact that I, I had to go with the flow, it's like, I remember uh, in a reporter after the Olympics when I won, he told me, Oscar, so how did it feel doing it for your mother? And so I had to, I was 18 years old. I had to answer the question right on the spot. And that's when the whole lie started. Like, and that's when the media started to blow it up and say, yeah, and Oscar did it for, you know, the, for his mother. That was her dying wish. Well, guess what? It was all a lie, you know? I started yeah. going with that message, you know? And, and then it was everywhere. The media was just saying, and, and Oscar does it for his, for his dying mother, and that was her wish, her last words. And I couldn't say no to it. I had to go with it. And so it just, it, it all became like this, like inside I was just burning up, man, because I know I was lying, you know? It's, it's mm-hmm. pretty crazy. It's... it's it's pretty interesting. It's, it's, a, touch, it's a really touching story. And I mean, obviously, yeah. I, like a lot of people, like for those who don't know, Oscar's mother died of, of breast cancer. And, you know, I've had women in my family die of breast cancer. My mom's twin mm. sister died of breast cancer. Yeah, wow. She she does the race for the cure every single single year. Right. My grandmother died of breast cancer. Sure. So it's something that everybody can relate to. So sure. I can understand why, you know, you 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 want to put that story out there. I think right. one of the interesting things in the documentary is that Bob Arum talked about how they wanted to hide the crude parts of yourself. So you took on Chavez and Chavez was like, you know, really crude and just out there. And one of the things I didn't realize is that as a Mexican, as a Mexican American, you got criticized for, for not being Mexican (laughs) enough. Like you weren't, you know, macho enough. You just weren't the typical blood and guts Mexican fighter. Talk about how that impacted you because that really surprised me. Yeah, no, it was, it was pretty crazy because so I get back from the Olympics. I'm 19 years old and I'm like the international hero, right? And everybody embraces me. I mean, the president of Mexico flew me over to 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 meet him. All of Mexico was behind me. It's like I, I couldn't walk the streets. It was crazy. And so when I fought Chavez, well, now I'm the enemy. You know, now now I'm like the gringo. You know, because I was born in the U.S., 
And, you know, I've always embraced my, my, uh, my, my heritage. I always embraced where I was born and I'm proud of it. And I won the gold medal for the U.S. But, you know, my, my roots are Mexican and, 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 and I embrace it, you know. But when I fought Chavez, it's like, no, he's not one of us. He's a gringo and this and that. And it was, um, it was shocking, to say the least. But the only way that I can convince people is to, like, fight with that Mexican style, they say. You know, like that like face first, get hit four times, and then just knock your opponent out. And so I had to, I had to change my style up just in order to please those critics that were that were against me at the time you know so it was it was um i mean for just being i think 23 24 years old you know I, it was it was a lot of pressure i didn't understand it but i just went with it man i just i just i just kept fighting hard and i and, and i think that's probably the reason why i just i fought everybody you know i just fought everybody like bob aram would would tell me would give me two names like who do you want to fight both tough guys, but I would always choose the toughest, you know, because of the criticism that I would receive. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's the one thing that's like super admirable about your career. I mean, like even when you look at your fight against Bernard Hopkins, you, you move up the middleweight and this is a, a bigger guy. And obviously I'm a Philly guy. You probably see the Philly jersey in the back. So it's just like to me. It's just, that's that's just that says a lot about who you are as a fighter. Um, and I just I. I always love that about you. So the one thing that's interesting about your career is that I think more than any other fighter is that you've had like huge controversial decisions and some have gone against you. Some Mm -hmm. have gone with you out of all of those fights. I mean, you look at, let's just say the, the two Mosley fights, because there are people who are going to argue the death that you, you should have won the second one. Um, Maybe the Mosley fight, maybe the Felix Trinidad fight. Which one of those fights do you feel like, you know what? I really got robbed. I deserved that one. Or he- I think, I think, I think both of them, um, you know, I think both fights, the Trinidad fight, it, it was in my control because I'm, mm-hmm. I, I'm the one that started, you know, I got on my bicycle and started just cruising the last three rounds where, whereas I should have, I should have just finished the fight and just knock them out. It was literally that easy. Uh, and I gave it away. And so that's the fight that I most like, I, 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 I kind of like, yeah, I, I, I just, it was in my control and I just, I should have finished them with Mosley. I mean, it was in the judge's hands, you know, I, I felt I did enough to beat him. Um, and I felt it in my heart that I did beat him. So it was out of my hands and the judges, you know, made a mistake, but you know, so be it. But, Look, I've been, I've been, I've been, um, you know, I've had bad decisions, had good decisions, and you know that's just the way it goes. I mean, it's you know when it's out of your hands, there's nothing you can do about it. You know. Yeah. So I always, I always thought you won both of those fights. The fight that I thought you got away with murder, and my guys from the seven five seven, they would kill me if I didn't mention this to you, but. <laughs> I thought Whitaker got you. I, I'm sorry. I, I thought he could, I thought that you you had the aggression, but I just thought his yeah. defense was just like you couldn't hit him. Sure. So sure. why didn't you guys ever rematch? Because that was the most disappointing thing for me. That would be stupid to have a rematch with him. I mean, <laughs> I mean, 
No, he was he was tough. He was he was smooth. He was difficult. He was I mean he was Perna Whitaker. You know, it's like it's hard to hit Perna Whitaker, and you know, um, I I did think it was a close fight. See, with boxing, I feel that when you have close fights, they can go either way. You know, yeah. and. I mean, obviously, that fight wasn't a, a landslide either way. It was a it, re, it was a really close fight. Like I wouldn't have been angry if the decision went to him. You, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And it so happened that the decision went to me. You know, so it's like when it's out of your hands, it's out of your hands. Um, but it's crazy because nowadays a lot of fights are so close. I mean, we take a look at the David Haney with Lomachenko fight. You know, when people, oh, Lomachenko won and this and that and this and that. Well, when it's a close fight, they just can go either way. When it's in the judge's hands, like, it's out of your control. So that's where all the controversy comes in and this and that. But, hey, I was just happy to be in there with them, man. That's it. Yeah, I'm not mad at that at all. I mean, like, at the end of the day, you win some, you lose some. But, I mean, you took on all challenges, and I think that's the most admirable thing. So we've watched the evolution of, like, boxers go over the years, and there's been so many great boxers who come and go. Who is one boxer, past or, or present, that you would love to go to, toe-to-toe with that you haven't fought? Damn, past or present? I uh, would have been uh, Sugar Ray Leonard, man. Oh, yeah. yeah man, we, we, we uh, you know, him being a gold medalist, he was, in his era, he was like the darling of the sport, you know, doing 7-Up commercials and this and that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would have been a hell of a fight in our yeah. in our prime. At what at, weight? At Walter weight, one forty-seven. Okay, man, that would have been yeah, that would have been off the hook. Man. That would have been. I mean, you guys were both gold medalists. Can you talk about like some of the pressures of trying to win the Olympics? What was that like as a teenager? Did you like did the neighborhood protect you? Because I know you're coming from East LA. Right, Obviously, right. there's a lot of gangs. You you spoke right. about it in the documentary. Nobody makes it from East LA. Especially right. where you where you've made it. Like what was the pressure of having to deal with everything in your environment to make it to the yeah. Olympics? Well, I mean, if you think about this, so I'm 17 years old. I'm already I'm already protected by the gangs in East LA, right? Because they admire what I'm doing. I'm putting kind of like East LA on the map, you know, and they're proud mm-hmm. of it, you know. My 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 pressure from the family is through the roof. But then my mother passes away, and then then this story pops up about I'm going to win the gold medal for her. So I, I go to Barcelona. I have to fight six times, um, six different countries, in order to win the gold medal. So you can imagine the pressure every single day, man. Uh, you know, I, I get by uh, this African kid, a uh, tall kid, like 6'3". And I get by him the first round. And then it's like, man, okay, I got five more to go. And then, you know, the stories are continuing as I fight. De La Hoya, my gosh, the world is on top of his shoulders. They're showing me, like, clips from East L.A. The, the, the whole entire East L.A. is behind me with signs, and they're cheering for me. And so, yeah, for a kid, it was a lot of pressure, man. I, I literally, till this day, do not... I cannot explain to you how I did it. I, it's it was all like a blur, you know. It's, it, it was like an out of body experience, man. It just happened so fast. It was crazy. 
but you come from a boxing family. So your, your brother yeah. was a boxer. Your, your father was a, a fighter. You said your uncles would like actually throw you in the ring oh, yeah. um, oh, yeah. after they got drunk. So it was almost <laughs> like the universe and everything around you was like preparing you for those moments. Can you yeah. talk about some of those childhood moments? You know, did you have like sibling rivalries with your brother? I mean, I know they in the documentary, they mentioned that your brother was supposed to be the one. Right, How did right. you end up becoming the guy? Yeah, so so my my uncles would you know would congregate uh, um, in the garage in the back, you know, in, in, in my uncle's home. They would start drinking, get drunk, you know, and they would put on the gloves themselves. And then one day uh, they said, "Well, why don't we put the kids to fight?" So I'm like I'm like five six years old, and I fight with my cousin. He punches me, smacks me. I start crying. I go to my father and he's like pissed off. Like, why are you crying? This and that. So that's when I started fighting. Um, but it's funny because my brother, who's older, uh, uh, started fighting before me. And he was actually the really good one. But he's, he, he just didn't like it. He just didn't like it. And, and so he actually quit after like four fights. He quit, and it's crazy because then my family almost kind of like disowned him wow. for quitting. Yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy, and so and you see it in the film. And so then my father said, "Okay, well, you're the chosen one. I'm going to put you to fight. I'm going to live my life through you." And so basically, I had no choice, man. I had to fight. I had to train. I didn't like it at first. I mean, what kid wants to get hit in the face, you know? Um, and yeah. so after after years of doing it, when I was like nine years old, I said, you know what, man, I can I can I can do something with this. I can I can make it part of my life, man. I have to embrace it. I I have no other choice. So then that's when I started taking it serious. Okay. I was gonna ask you, like, what what else would you be doing? If you didn't do this, but it just feels like this was just the chosen path for you. Oh, yeah. Now you you mentioned like a lot of trauma in your childhood. You mentioned, yeah. you know, having an abusive mother. Um, yeah. And how do you think that dr that drove you when you were in the ring? Like, it, it, did that just create like a, just a sense of anger to where it's just like, I'm taking out everything that people put on me, on my opponent? Sure. Yeah, no, that was my, that was my engine, man. My driving engine to, to, to feel angry, to, to go up in the ring and just fight hard with passion, you know, um, there were times when I was fighting and even in training camp and sparring where I would just picture my mom and just, you know, I would just get angry and wail away and just, you know, um, just, you know, try to try to beat down my opponent as hard as I can. So mm -hmm. the, the abuse was like the abuse was, a, I think, the driving force behind everything. Man, It's crazy. And that's why with this documentary, it shows that. You know, I have this love-hate relationship with my mom because if I didn't have that anger, I don't think I would have been as successful in the ring, you know? And so if she was, you know, a mother to me and she told me she loves me and hugs me and is not abusive and, you know, I maybe would have been a little soft, you know, and maybe I would have been a little, you know, not as angry in the ring. So, look, everything happens for a reason, man. It's crazy, but... I think that, uh, you know, I, I think that the fact that I lived that lifestyle, the fact that I, I, I grew up the way I grew up, I mean, it was just meant to be, man.
This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. So what's like retirement like? Because you never really like, I mean, when you're boxing on the highest stage, how do you find joy and happiness outside right. of that? Yeah, exactly. That That's a tough one, man. So when I retired, actually, my last fight with Pacquiao, um, I already started feeling the beginning of the end. You know, mm-hmm. when I was in training camp, I was getting beat up in sparring. And that never happened ever in my life. In sparring, man, I was I was like on it. But for the first time, now I'm getting beat up in training. And so I remember I remember in training camp, like three weeks leading up to the fight, the Pacquiao fight, I started drinking a lot, like heavy. Oh, you were drinking in, in between training? That's crazy. Oh, yeah. I was drinking during training camp uh, for the Pacquiao fight because at that point I had already given up, you know? My body wasn't feeling good. Mentally, I was just out of it. And so when I stepped inside the ring with Pacquiao and he started beating me up and I couldn't do anything about it, I was literally thinking, man, just just hit me with one punch, man, to just end it all. Just do it, man, please. And so that's what the, the documentary also showed. It's pretty crazy. It's uh, It's sad, actually, because it's like I'm just waiting in the corner just – Knock me out, please, man. Knock me out. You know, I was kind of mad at you for that fight because you were a middleweight. You were fighting at 154, and then you cut all that weight. So what went into that? Because you were the A-side, obviously. You were a big favorite. (laughs) You were a minus 180 favorite in the sports books in Vegas. And then you dropped back down to 147. Like, what made you just say, hey, look, I'm going to drop down to 147? Because that was like, like, to me, it felt like you put yourself at a disadvantage. Yeah, no, because, you know, my reputation was always fighting the best, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and Pacquiao, if, if you recall, Pacquiao was coming up. Yeah, like, he, was he, was at, knocking, he was at 140. Yeah, he was knocking everybody out and, uh, and everybody's starting to talk. Oh, who's Pacquiao? Who's this guy? And so when, when, when I decided on uh, my next fight, I was like, you know what? I'll fight Pacquiao. Let's do it. Hey, in his prime, he, he wasn't even in his prime. He was just starting. Yeah, and I was like, "Yeah, I'll fight him. Shit, let's do it." And I remember, yeah, dropping the weights 
and um, I had actually started a uh, a new diet for that for that fight. I was eating uh, deer meat um, and kangaroo meat. It's crazy. So and mm. I didn't come in at one forty seven. I came in at one forty three. I think it was. So I was I was like a dead man walking. I I, I had no chance. Oh wow! So yeah. what was your toughest fight other than Pacquiao? Because I'm not counting that fight because you already said <laughs> <laughs> you already said you were mentally done. So what was your toughest fight I, other than that? I think I Corte. I Corte was. I Corte. You know, I mean that last round was an epic round, man. That was a very very uh, again another close fight. You yeah. know, but um, it was a fight that I felt, man. If I don't pull it off in the last round. Uh, I'm going to lose. Mm. And, um, you know, this guy, this guy had probably the best jab that I've ever, that I've ever witnessed. I mean, he had a beautiful jab, the bazooka. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I, I can see that. So switching gears to you as a promoter, I think this is another thing that I really admire about you just because through all your traumas and all the things that have gone wrong in your life, you've built probably the biggest promotional company. So obviously you just had to fight with Ryan Garcia and, and, and Tank. Can you talk yeah. about your situation with Ryan Garcia right now? I know you you guys are suing each other and you've had some <laughs> issues after the fight. So what's going on with that? Yeah, look, I mean, I, I was I was I was pretty blessed with having a good team behind me. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been able to 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 put on the biggest fights in the last 20 years. You know, I mean, man, we've promoted I think I promoted 14 of Mayweather's fights. Yeah. Uh, Canelo and, you know, you name it. I mean, from the Bronze Bomber to to Broner to Danny Garcia, all those guys, um, you know. And so with Ryan Garcia, look, um, he's he's very talented. He's uh, I think I think uh, the future is very bright for him. Um you know, and, and, and we have a contract and that's basically it. That's the bottom line. And, and, you know, the, the, the suing part is, is just because look, we want to enforce our contract and, and you have to make sure that you honor your, honor your contract. That, that, that was basically it. I mean, look, at the, at the end of the day, you know, family's family and, yeah. and you're going to have your scuffles here and there. You're going to, you're going to duke it out in the ring. You're going to, you know, have your sparring sessions. But at the end of the day, it's all good. Okay. That's that's good to hear. Just because I, like, I like the space that Ryan Garcia is in now. He's he's in Dallas. He's training yeah, with like Derek it. James. And I, yeah. I feel like he's going to, he's going to take that next step up. And we've right. seen your track record as a promoter. And I really <laughs> think that, yeah. you know, boxing is in a great place right now. We have the, the is, best man. fight and the best. So I, I definitely want to see you guys you know, iron out whatever yeah. you guys have and, you know, take it to the next level. So yeah, it, it will, it will, because look, I, I truly feel that the fact that we were able to make Ryan with tank, I think that opened the doors and made everybody realize, Hey man, we got to step up our game. You know, yeah. let, 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 Hey, the best has to fight the best. And right now boxing is, is, is booming, man. You mentioned a number of your trainers in the documentary. I mean, you had Alcarez, you had yeah. Rivero, you had you even had Emmanuel Stewart for a fight. Oh, yeah. Who was your best trainer? The best trainer 
I have to choose two. So it's the professor who trained me for the Chavez fight. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. I mean, he he had me on my toes, um, you know, throwing combinations and moving side to side and moving my head more. Um, but the trainer that 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 motivated me the most um, was uh, was Floyd Senior. Floyd mm. Senior just brought out the beast in me. He, you know, keep in mind that when I hired Floyd Senior. I was already multiple world champion, you know, multiple divisions and this and that. So, so my motive, my, 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 uh, my motivation wasn't as high as it was when I started. Right. Cause I'm already champion. So man, who can bring that out in me? Who can wake me up at four in the morning? And I mean, Floyd senior's military, man. And that's what I actually loved about him. And plus he's a great technician, great trainer. I mean, I didn't, I didn't, adapt too well to the shoulder roll. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the one thing that, that, you know, obviously made Floyd Jr. And, um, and he was a mastermind at it, but I never adapted to that, but I did adapt to, uh, to his strict regimen mm-hmm. to take the sport serious. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the IQ that Floyd had was, was through the roof. Do you regret not using him for the Floyd Mayweather Jr. Fight? Cause I know you switched over to, to Freddie Roach. I, at the time, Floyd Sr. and Floyd Jr. were on good terms. Do you regret? Because I know you don't want the conflict of interest, but do you regret that? Well, you know, you're right. that They weren't on good terms at the time. And I actually I actually offered uh, Floyd Sr. to train me for, for that fight. And he actually agreed to it, but he, he wanted a lot of money. Ah. And so we didn't come to terms. Yeah, I, do actually, I actually do regret it. Uh, because he would have had me on point for that fight, but um, but I think it happened. It happened the way it had to happen because look, at the end of the day, that's his father. Yeah, you know, and and you have to respect that. And it's like it it, it would have made it. Yeah, it just wouldn't have been right. You know. Yeah, I, and yeah. I, I respect you for saying that because I mean, some people are just like, you know what? I gotta win at all costs. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. I mean, you're keeping it real. I, I like. That, those 24-7 series were, I mean, they were some of the best stuff on television. And I just, I love that the dichotomy between you two guys. Because, I mean, you were the golden boy. And yeah. he was he, he was the antagonist. So, I just well, thought it I made mean, from- to, to every To every hero, you need a villain, right? Yeah. And he played it up. I mean, he he's brilliant. He he played it up and, and you know, and, and he was the, 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 the flashy, you know, Mayweather and the money and this and that. And it was it was a uh, it was a perfect perfectly well put together execution by his part by HBO's part by my part. I mean, it was the perfect storm. So when you see all of these exhibitions, or do you see like a Jake Paul? How do you feel about that in regards to boxing? Do you feel like it's hurting the sport? Um, I don't I don't think it's hurting the sport. I think that. I think that he's attracting a younger generation, uh, mm-hmm. a younger demographic of, of fans. I, I do think that um, that the fact that Jake Paul's taking it serious, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not too crazy about like some YouTubers just trying it one time and yeah. you know thinking that they can do it, and you know, 
But Jake Paul, he's actually taking it serious. He, he, he trains. He has training camps. He, he goes out to Puerto Rico, I believe, and has his camps. And he's like, he's literally, he wants to learn and grow and become champion. So that I have to respect. Okay. So we have a number of big fights coming up. And this is a segment that we always do because this is a gambling show. And I always tell people, out of all of the sports, no one knows their own sport like boxing. So I'm going to name a couple of upcoming fights, and I need your answer to it. Just honest. So we got Earl Spence versus Terrence Crawford. Who are you taking? Uh, Earl Spence, Crawford. Yeah, Crawford. Yeah. Okay. I got Crawford. We got NUA versus Stephen Fulton. NUA. Wow. You're the first person I've spoken to who has said that. And I like NUA, too. <laughs> All right, we got your guy, Canelo Alvarez versus Jamel Charles. I know he left you, but who you who, who you rolling with? Man, that's that's actually a good one because it's interesting because I, I feel that Canelo on the decline. Mm-hmm. But, you know, because, hey, age catches up with you. The mm-hmm. fights catch up with you. You know, you're, you're not the same you're physically. Um, and then that's, that's normal. Uh, but then again... Charlo's coming up two weight divisions and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and he hasn't fought like in a year. So it's, it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting fight. I mean, I think, I think that the, the one who has the, the, the discipline to stick to their game plan, you know, I could, Charlo has great boxing ability and he can move and he's a hard puncher. But if he makes a mistake, if he gets over anxious, if he gets a little careless, you know Canelo's powerful. He can he can take you out with either hand. So mm-hmm. it's it's a hard one to pick, man. I, that's that's a tough one to pick. Okay, so we got Donaire versus Santiago. That's on the un- actually that was supposed to take place on the undercard for Frank Martin's fight uh-huh. at the Cosmo, but they actually moved it on the undercard for Spence Crawford. So who you yeah. got for that, for that one? That's a good fight, man. I, I could never count out Donaire. You okay. know, he's got, he's got that one-punch knockout power. Yeah, I'm going to go with Donaire. Okay, and we got a final one. This hasn't been announced yet, but Tank versus Shakur. Man, that's... that's <laughs> Tank versus Shakur Stevenson. Wow. You know, Shakur Stevenson has, has probably the best boxing IQ in the game today. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way he keeps his distance and the way he's so calm and poised and you know and he and he doesn't run he's like right there in front of you yeah you know he's not he's not like dancing all around no he's like a beautiful boxer man um i i have to go i have to go as much as i hate going against my boy tank because tank is thanks the man yeah um i gotta go with Shakur. okay so one of the things that I found interesting is that you and Benora Hopkins, you both said that as promoters, you're not going to become what you hate. So is there anything as a promoter that you feel like, you know what, I could have treated this boxer better. I could have, you know, I could have done this better. Like, what do you feel like, like, are there any mistakes that you made as a promoter to where you like, damn, I, I wish I had handled that better with this particular fighter? Yeah, no, we've 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 done our job with every fighter, man. You know, okay. um, unfortunately, unfortunately, there's a lot of whispers in fighters' ears 
Uh, unfortunately, sometimes family gets involved. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you know, there's people who uh, who give fighters the wrong advice. All all we try to do is get the best fights for our fighters, make them the most money. Um, you know, that's all we can do. And a lot of fighters, they agree with us or disagree. It's out of our control. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, we've... We've built a lot of champions, man. We've made a lot of fighters a lot of money. So we're, yeah, we're very proud of them. What gave you the influence to start your own promotional company? Because you talk about, you know, some of your first managers, you know, kind of cheating you out of situations. Is there anybody that you like had in your corner who's just said, you know what, I'm going to guide you the right way? Or is there anybody who like inspired you business-wise? It was, I can, I can tell you exactly the moment. I fought Fernando Vargas. Mm-hmm. And it was a tough fight, and uh, you know, the, you know the story. Two weeks after, they 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 popped him with a, uh, he got popped for steroids, I believe, or, and so it was a very tough fight. Physically, I was drained, and in the dressing room after the fight, I told myself, you know what, retirement is close. What am I gonna do? That's when I decided, you know what, I'm gonna start my own promotion company. Um, I'm going to start my own promotion company and, 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 and take it from there and make it a business and, and, you know, and retire. And so I started Golden Boy Promotions as an active fighter. And therefore I had some leverage with HBO to ask for dates and, you know, I hired the right people. And so we were off to the races. So, uh, you know, it's, it's the best thing that I could ever do because, I love the sport. I love boxing, man. Boxing gave me everything I have, taught me everything I know. And so to continue and be, you know, on the forefront and be, you know, um, you know, leading the way, promoting fighters and building champions and at the same time making money, you know, yeah. and, 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 and keeping, keeping my passion alive, you know. Mm-hmm. When I sit down ringside, man, I don't know if you see, but I get up. When I get, I see a good fight, I get up and I start throwing punches, man. You know, I get into it, man. I love it. I definitely see you. So that 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 almost like being like that close to the sport and, and actually throwing your events, it, it kind of cures that I need yeah. to get back into the ring. Type yeah, that feeling. void. It's, it's mm-hmm. a void, man. It's like, it's like when anybody retires from anything, it's like, okay, what am I going to do now? You know? Uh, and I have all this time on my hands. Da, da, da. That's why all these tragic, you know, things happen to athletes, entertainers, this, that, because it's like you have a void now inside of you. And, and, you know, what do people do? They drink, they use drugs, they do this, they do that. So I'm, I'm glad that I found boxing as a promoter. So ultimately, what do you want people to say about Oscar De La Hoya? How do you want to be remembered? Um... Look, I, I'm proud that I fought everybody. I'm mm-hmm. I'm proud that I took on all the challenges. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I want people to just after they see this documentary, man, to say, "Man, he survived it." Yeah. You know, he survived it. All the shit, all the crap, all the ups and downs, and this and that. Because I could have easily disappeared. I could have easily just, you know, mm-hmm. call it a day. Um, I've had a lot of tragic moments in my life. Um, yeah, I want people to say, you know what, man, kudos to him. He survived. 
before we go, ask her, let everybody know where you can check out the documentary. Oh, yeah, don't miss it. July 24, two-part series on HBO Max, The Golden Boy. You'll see the good, the bad, the ugly, um, but you'll see, uh, you'll hear the truth. You'll see the uh, the authenticity of this uh, of this documentary is like no other. Thank you.